0: is really, really important uh, for this reason. That I think this is a time, uh, maybe in Canada or something, I don't know, but we're learning how to connect. There's been a time when we've been apart, and here's my concern. That as we've been apart, uh, it's easy to stay that way. It's easy to stay a little bit distant from God, a little bit distant from one another, And we've kind of perhaps have got into a rhythm of that. And so we thought it would be very helpful to look at a relational rhythm of what are the kinds of things that we do that help us re-engage with God and with others. And so uh, we're calling it relational rhythms. Some of you who have been in church for a while might be familiar with the idea of uh, spiritual disciplines. Same kind of idea, but the priority is really about connection. Uh, The other point is that sometimes Christianity can be very um, hyper-spiritual, non-physical. And I think it's important for us to connect our life and behaviors to our spirituality, that what we do actually makes a difference. And when we practice certain kinds of behaviors, certain kinds of activities, it helps us. And so we can think, well, you know, just so long as I'm sincere and whatever. Yeah, that's true. And doing stuff really, really helps. When we look at at serving in the church, if you feel distant, there's a super easy and practical way to feel connected. You just join serving. And so we want to uh, have this be a season about reconnection and doing that in practical ways. That's what's going on. So today, we're looking at a relational rhythm that is perhaps not the most um, popular or, or common, but it's confession. We're going to get to that in a moment, but I want to begin by asking you a question. If I was to ask you, what do you think are the you know biggest, worst sins that somebody could commit? What kind of list would you come up with? What are their the really, really bad sins. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it gives a list of some sins. It begins with some very obvious ones. It begins with murder and sexual immorality, and, uh, and then it goes on to slave trading, and here's what it ends with, lying. Lying. Alongside murder, sexual immorality, and slave trading, that's not the verse yet. You can click that one off. It, uh, isn't that shocking? In the Bible, lying is a really big deal. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you. Well, everybody that I know lies a lot. <laughs> I think we lie like all the time, we just kind of add things or subtract things, and we just kind of steer what we say into a direction that puts us in a very positive light. I think lying is very, very common, Uh, maybe even subconscious. Well, this is what Revelation 21, if, we, if you haven't already been convinced by the first verse, now you can put that up. It says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, that's interesting, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. <laughs> well, that's a little intense. That, uh, you know, if you lie, you are consigned to hell. That's what Revelation 21 says to us. Doesn't that feel like a little bit of an overreaction? I get it. If we're murderers or, uh, you know, do vile things, but if we lie, you know, lying isn't innocent. In John 8, it describes Satan as the father of lies. And it says that if we lie, we're following our father, Satan. I mean, it just gets worse. Condemns us to hell among the list of really, really bad sins. And then it attributes the source of lying to the father of lies, which is the devil himself. So lying is a very big deal in God's eyes. So it's, uh, uh, it behooves us to understand what is lying and how do we get out of it. So our first question today, we only have two. The first is, what is lying? Well, here's my definition that we're going to be working with today. Uh, lying is self-serving deception. <clears throat> it's deception, but it's self-serving. It, uh, it, it presents reality in such a way that uh, serves us best. Um, there's a definition that, I, that I've thought about for a long time. It's a little bit heady, so, you know, just turn, turn out for a minute if, it's, if it doesn't make sense to you, but I really like it. It says, the true definition of a lie is not to consciously tell an untruth. That would be typically what we think lying is, right? But to abuse trust. Lying is an abuse of trust whether it's with somebody that we barely know or somebody that we're very intimate with, it's to take advantage of their trust and color what we say in such a way that puts us in the best possible light. Lying uh, typically looks like one of two things. I'm sure that there's great variety. We're very creative in how we lie, but it looks like at least two things. One is blaming. So uh, if something goes wrong or something isn't, isn't uh, the way that we want it to be, we'll just make sure that when we tell the story of what went wrong, that it won't be our fault. Uh, somebody else will have contributed to it. Yeah, we had a little bit of a part to play, but who, who was really to blame was this other person. It's, a, uh, it's excuses. It's ways to deflect negativity off of us and onto someone else. Lying often looks like that. What lying also looks like is boasting. So we downplay what's negative about us, and we kind of upscale uh, what's positive about us, and we kind of present ourselves in the best possible light. And when we tell a story, we're often the hero of that story. We're often the one who uh, who just seems to turn out to be I don't know the one who was the best part of the story that we just told. This is what lying is like. It's self-serving deception, and we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Uh, ultimately, lying is rooted in what we're calling a fearful pride. Uh, lying is, first of all, an act of fear, People will talk about being motivated by by guilt or shame or whatever it is, but we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being judged, and so we lie just a little bit to ease our experience of, uh, of somebody judging us, looking down on us. So it's fearful, but it's also full of pride. I don't want to look bad. And if it means that I have to twist reality just a little bit It's what I'm going to do. I just, uh, I hate looking bad. And so I want to present myself in the best possible light. Now, I'm not going to say anything grossly wrong. I'm just going to leave out certain details, emphasize other ones, make sure that I look good in how this story is being told. Richard Baxter, who's a, a Puritan theologian, lived in the 1600s. Says this, pride makes men liars. <clears throat> I think you might include women as well. Pride makes men liars. Whenever we're proud, we can't look bad. We have to look good in other people's eyes. And so this is how we present ourselves. <clears throat> now, here's what's interesting about where lying takes us. Ironically, so the motive to lie. Is to look good and presentable and to be well liked, to have a positive image uh, of ourselves and that other people would see us that way. Ironically, lying leaves us insecure because there's we know deep in our heart that we're spinning. We're spinning things. And so we know that we're not truly known. We know that. We feel insecure and we feel lonely. What if the reason why we feel lonely is not because we haven't found a set of friends that we really like? Maybe one of the reasons, of course it wouldn't be all of it, but one of the reasons would be is that we, we, uh, we have a way of living that just presents us in a slightly deceptive way. And so people don't ever get to know us, and we don't really want to be fully known. It's rooted in lying. We never feel known, and we never feel loved. So, If we feel lonely, unknown, we feel invisible, maybe lying has something to do with it. So this is what lying is. It's a self-serving deception. Uh, What is honesty? That's what lying is. What is honesty? Honesty is always God's viewpoint. That's always what honesty is. When Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. uh, Honesty, uh, God is not the best person who describes truth. He actually is truth. There isn't this thing called truth that he's really good at talking about. He just says it perfectly. It's not what truth is. Truth isn't some static reality. Truth is a person. And so whenever he talks, he's always purely honest. Not cruel, but purely honest. I find that to be a fascinating thought. that if I'm going to be honest, you know, some people say, I'm just being honest. You know, I think you're an idiot. I'm just being honest. Um, uh, Honesty is always what God thinks and sees. That's the most honest thing that you could think of or speak. Isn't that helpful? I've had people say all kinds of cruel things in the name of honesty. It's not been honest at all. It's from their point of view what their opinions are, and they say that they're just being honest. Well, what if honesty wasn't so much about our own authenticity? What if honesty was actually about aligning our hearts and minds to what Jesus thinks and knows and feels? That would be a different form of honesty, wouldn't it? Because it's possible to be thoroughly genuine and absolutely wrong. But when God speaks, it is always right and true, dependable and trustworthy. So to be honest people is to be people who reflect the heart and mind of God. So there are two things that I would like to look at this evening about what we need to be honest about. The word that we're going to use is confession. It's kind of more of a biblical word. And we're going to, we, in order to be honest, there's two kinds of things that we need to confess a lot we're talking in this series about relational rhythms. So what I'd like to suggest to you tonight is that there's two confessions that should always be on our lips, two things that should characterize our speech. The first is to confess God's nature. To confess God's nature. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says that when they, otherwise known as us, Exchanged the truth about God, the truth about God, for a lie, it led to, verse 29, every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now you may think that I'm biased because I'm a pastor. I am convinced that all that is wrong in our lives is the result of not knowing or trusting in the truth about who God is. One of the most difficult things that you and I have to do is to connect our negative behavior not to a psychological disorder, but to the ignorance of who God is. And as we would clearly see who God is, our lives would be rightly aligned with that revelation of God. Our problem is not a psychological diagnosis, it's an ignorance of who God is. And Romans one is very, very clear That the reason why you and I sin, including lying, is because we misunderstand, we don't know the truth about who God is. This is a very moving, powerful statement in this day and age. But it's what we read in Romans chapter 1. Not to say that there can't be uh, psychological troubles that we have and those that understanding can be helpful. But its source, according to Romans one, is in, these, is in the truth about who God is, not simply in managing uh, behaviors or uh, difficulties that we've had in the past. So then, in Ephesians four fifteen it says that it tells us to practice, and this is where we're getting to relational practices, relational rhythms, to practice speaking the truth in love, especially about God. Now, if you've been in our church for a while, you know that there's two things. It's based on Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. There are two things that are critical that we believe about God, and they're the two things that are always attacked by the father of lies, the devil. And it's these two things, that God is good and God is great. As soon as you and I don't believe that he's good and we don't believe that he's great, we will lie and sin, and and we will do all kinds of horrible things Because we don't believe that he's powerful, and we don't believe that he's looking out for us. And if he's not good and he's not great, then i got to look out for myself. And the way that I'm going to manage my life is by sinning. Sin is always a way to manage life outside of faith in Jesus Christ and the reality of who he is. If you sin, it's a statement of what your heart believes about God. And so the only way to change our behavior is to change our beliefs about God and to rightly align them with the truth, to be honest about who he is. I went through uh, this week felt like a um, felt like a, a, one of these valleys. We talk about the resurrection path also in our church. It's a it's a, the journey of the Christian life is a journey of death and resurrection. And midweek, um, I was in a very uh, dark and despondent place. It was a hard week. And I'll tell you what was going on for me. I was having a very, very hard time believing that God was good and great in a specific area of my life. I couldn't see him. I was blind to the truth. My circumstances, this is to my embarrassment, but to my, my circumstances, blinded me. No, that's not true. I let my circumstances blind me to the reality, the truth about who God is. And I was so busy staring at my circumstances, which felt very, very overwhelming to me, that I couldn't see the truth. How do I get out? it? So I was living, in that moment, I was living a lie. In that moment, God was not good and he was not great. I was a liar. What I believed in my mind was false. So what's my remedy to lying? Confess the truth. Father, I don't feel like you're good. It doesn't look like you're good. There's no evidence of you being good, but you are good and you are great in my life. And I cannot live by what my eyes see or my emotions feel right now. It is an unreliable source of truth. And it was work for me of of much time in, in prayer and anguish, being honest about the condition of my heart and confessing truths and waiting for my heart to catch up with what my mouth was speaking. But where it began was in a confession. It began, are you following me now? See, we think often that we start with genuineness and then say things. Biblically, that's sometimes true. And biblically, the opposite is true, where you start with saying things and you let your heart line up with that. And for me, that can take minutes, hours, or days And so we confess the truth about who God is. And then we're no longer living in a lie. We're no longer believing lies. We're believing the truth. And that truth begins with a confession. Are you following me on this? This is super, super helpful. I'm in a dark place. I don't feel great. But nobody can stop me from saying true things about who God is. Nobody can stop me from doing that. I'm not saying even that I believe them at that point. I didn't believe them, but they're still true whether I believe them or not. And that's where change begins, is in confession of the truth of who God is. And it's a practice. It's a practice. Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship, uh, that's about following Jesus. What discipleship is, when you become a Christian, you do you say two things about God, you confess two truths, that he's Lord and that he's Savior. That's good and great. He's Lord, he's great, and he's Savior, he's good. That's, that's always what's going on. So that's how you become a Christian. If you are a Christian, <laughs> A for you. All right, now what discipleship is, is taking that decision and applying that decision to specific areas of our life, <clears throat> our friendships, our work, our emotions, our whatever it is, new situations every day. Because a new situation comes along and that new situation blinds me to truth. And so I have to confess all over again, doesn't look like it, doesn't feel like it, but you are good and you are great. You are Lord and you are Savior. And so it is a a rhythm or a practice of the Christian to confess what's true about God in new moments that come along every day. <clears throat> and as we do, his love and authority, his goodness and greatness expand in our life to include more and more things. It's a beautiful journey. And it begins with confessing with our mouths the truth of who Jesus is. He's Lord and that He's Savior, Romans 10:9. <clears throat> All right, that's number one final one. And this is, a, I mean, that was already hard, right? This is worse. <clears throat> we confess our sin. <clears throat> we confess our sin. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Okay, meditate on that for a lifetime. You conceal your sin and you don't prosper. Well, that's interesting. Have you ever read that in a self-help book? The reason why you're not prospering, the reason why you aren't doing good at business, is because you don't you you've concealed your sin. That wouldn't sell well. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them uh, renounce means to break off your friendship with. Whoever confesses the sin and renounce turns from it finds mercy. Now. Why would we do this? When it comes to God, we confess everything that's great about God. And then when it comes to ourselves, just do a quick study. If you're bored with me, just type in confess in your Bible app and look up the word confess and almost every time it's gonna be about your sin. Almost every time. We also confess the truth about God. But almost every time. Now, I don't know about you, but that's troubling for me. Uh, I don't know if you're as insecure as I am, but for sure you're insecure to some degree. And I bet you most of us here are struggling with some kind of sense of self-esteem. That We don't have a very great view of ourselves. How we look or think or how we behave or what kind of job we have or how much money we make, the list is endless for the ways that we look at ourselves in the mirror and condemn who we are. And then scripture comes along and says, here's what I want you to do. If you're going to confess anything about who you are, I want you to confess your sin. I don't want you to sweep it under the carpet. I don't want you to pretend that it doesn't exist. I don't want you to minimize it. I want you to say exactly how wrong you are in your behaviors. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but that is antithetical to anything that I've heard about building a positive self image. Because what I've been told, and what I believe often, is that the reason why I'm not doing well is because I don't believe enough in myself. That really, really, I am a good person. You know, as we say deep, 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 deep down, I'm a really good person. Very, very deep. It's hard to see. <clears throat> I, loved, uh, I loved watching the Olympics uh, just a little while ago. And what was the gospel that was shared by nearly every Olympian? They had a gospel message. They had a message of salvation. And what was that message? It was preached loud and clear. If you watched any of the Olympics, any of the interviews, I'm learning to believe in myself. And the reason why I'm on this podium is I was able to channel all of my positive energy to my full potential. And you too can be an Olympian if you believe in my gospel. And Christianity comes along and says, uh, here's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess and renounce your sin. That just doesn't sell well. why? Why would God want us to start with that confession? Confess his goodness and greatness and our depravity. Why would he want us to do that? I think for one very simple reason, and it's quoted in John 4, 6, it kills our pride. And our pride is the primary barrier between us in the eternal life that is offered us through Jesus Christ. Pride is our number one enemy, and the best way to kill pride is to confess sin. Your and my problem with not receiving the goodness and greatness of God is quite simply our fearful pride. And so what God comes along and does in his infinite mercy, he says, let me help you get delivered from your arch enemy. Your arch enemy is not a low self-esteem. Your arch enemy is your pride. And the way that you get rid of pride is don't do an internal thing, just confess sin. Just confess sin, and your pride will have nothing to stand on. Don't work it through whether you're really humble or not. Just confess your ugliness. Job done. Very efficient, God is. John 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Would you like the favor of God in your life? Don't be proud. Be humble. And so God gives us a practical discipline, practice, to move toward humility. And it's to say the wrong that we do, to practice doing that. You look at the 12 steps. What do you have to do? I have to admit you're wrongdoing. You're not in control of your life. You've got to be every, just read every good counseling book, and it's going to start with honesty. You just can't change if you're dishonest. I'm not that bad, then you're not ready to change. It's just that simple. I am not exaggerating. Nobody changes if they're not that bad. I have never done the work of change as an amusement. I've only done the work of change out of necessity. And I'm only necessarily wanting to change when I see my ugliness. So, if you're uh, still tracking with me, what about false humility? What about uh, the times when we say, you know, because we are made in the image of God and we're made beautiful. When God created us in, in, in Genesis Chapter 1, when he created us, God looked and he says it was good because we're made in the image of God, a good and great God. So what about false humility? Uh, Maybe you suffer from this. I do. But you you listen to people who who have false humility and they talk about their negativity ad nauseum. And it's kind of, you know, I'm a horrible person. And, and then, what do you, what do you, I mean, what are they asking you to say? Oh, no, you're not. You're a wonderful person. And here's the wonderful, oh, no, no, I'm not a wonderful person. I've done really, really, oh, no, you, oh, no, I'm not, oh, yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, they're baiting you, or I'm baiting you, if I'm one doing it, uh, to just say really, really nice things about us. <clears throat> but sometimes it does get darker than that, doesn't it? And people get into very, very hopeless and tragic places when they're consumed with negative thoughts, condemning thoughts, accusing thoughts, and it's a sobering place to be, and it's not to be joked about. What about false humility? Can I suggest something to you? You can be mad at me only for a minute. False humility is still about pride. Here's what I mean by that. False humility says... My sins are too great to be forgiven. You see, I have special sins. I have special problems. And my problems are so unique, so profound, I'm so depraved. I've moved beyond the kindness and greatness of God. So we're proud even of our depravity. Pride is still the problem. Whether we sugarcoat our life or we make it way worse, uh, which is hard to do, given our depravity. But anyways, we try. We go way worse. Either way, it's pride that either sees ourself beyond the mercy of God or not needing it. Either way, it's a self-serving agenda. So, in conclusion, this is what Proverbs twelve twenty two says: The Lord detests. Lying lips. In Proverbs 6, it says, there's six things that I hate. This is God speaking. Seven things that I detest. Detest. Out of the seven things, two are lying. Two out of seven of what God detests is lying. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. I don't know about you, but this motivates me. Don't you want to be a trustworthy person? Oh, man. I think about this all the time. I think about this toward women. I would like to be a man who's trustworthy. That really motivates me. I would like to be someone in somebody's life who will say the true thing and the kind thing. And as imperfectly as is true, that I would try to live selflessly. I long to be trustworthy. And that's really funny. And it's just meant to be funny, all right? Um, my wife is loves joking around and uh, teasing our kids quite a bit. And... Uh, I, Jonathan, when he was younger, he still has a problem with people, with people following him up the stairs. Because when Debbie would follow him up the stairs, she would you know, go after him, you know? She just loves being a joker, right? And I love that about her, and I don't want her to change. And, I mean, you just think this is dumb, but it's how I think, all right? Uh, I never choked in that way with my kids. So Debbie would say, you know, there's a monster under the bed, whatever, you know, and just to get them jumping around and freaking out. And then here's what my kids would do. My kids would turn to me and go, dad, is there a monster under the bed? I just need to know, I just need to know. And I would say, there's no monster under the bed. Debbie's upset because I just killed the moment. But I love that we're a team, I just love who she is, and I wanted to be with my kids a reference point of what was true. And I want them to have their mom, because she just makes life fun. Saying there's no moms is not fun, so I, but that's my job. And I wanted to be that guy, and I want her to be her, but do you hear me? What was, you know what motivated me? I just want my kids to know that I'm never gonna try to deceive them to the best of my ability. I, I am highly motivated by being trustworthy. It's a real big deal to me, really big deal. Don't you want to be trustworthy? Which do you want more, to be trustworthy or look good? Repent of wanting to look good so that you can be trustworthy because the Lord detests lying lips but delights in people who are trustworthy. What's the fruit of honesty? Listen to this. First John 1 John 1:7 this is our final verse. If we walk in the light that's trust honesty, right? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, God is in the light, he is light, the bible describes him as light. We have here's the two things that we long for. We have fellowship with one another. If we're honest, we're trustworthy. And now we have the relationships that we've always asked for. Not because you found a better group of friends. Not because you found somebody who enjoyed playing the same games as you. Not because you found a church of people who are the same age. You you find friends because you're trustworthy. We have fellowship with one another. If we feel alone... Let's pursue trustworthiness. Don't lie. And you'll find yourself having fellowship. We talked about this a while ago, koinonia, uh, togetherness, unity, participation in who God is, and that we get to enjoy being known and loved. We will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I love that that now I just, all I have to do is be honest and all my guilt and shame is removed. I'm forgiven. I am no longer insecure. I'm loved and accepted. I'm known by my father fully. Nobody's deceived. And he goes, good, I just wanted you to be honest so I could forgive you. If you're not honest, I can't forgive what you're in denial about. And now that you're honest, I'm just gonna rush into that moment not to condemn you, but to forgive you. That was always my agenda. But you can't receive a gift that you don't think you need. But now that you know that you're messed up, I'm more than delighted to forgive all your sin. So the very things that we, the the very reason why we lie is so that we would be loved and accepted And the very reason why we would tell the truth is to be loved and accepted. But we've got to shift it from our distorted understanding to what God would say. So here's my question. Will you practice doubt and pride or truth and humility? Will you practice doubt and pride? Doubt is a lie. Pride is a lie. Will you practice doubt and pride? Will that be your practice? When you go into a moment, do you puff yourself up? Do you mistrust God? Is that what you do in moments? That's what I often do. Or will we practice truth about who God is and humility? What will be our practice in moments? What will be our practice? Ah, I love that. Here's what Caroline Leaf says. She's a uh, psychologist. Psychologist. She says, if you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. I would would tweak that. If you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never speak that God is not good and not great, and you would never puff yourself up so as to forsake the grace that could be yours. As we confess the truth about God, in the truth about ourselves, we find the love and relational security that we long for. So I'd like to invite the worship team up and uh, I'd like to pray for us. This is a big deal, isn't it? Lying is, uh, is almost subconscious, I would say. And God wants to deliver us by giving us a new practice, a new thing to confess. Father, I thank you for giving us a way out of deception. Sometimes it just seems like so complicated. Like how do I begin to have integrity? How do I even begin to be trustworthy? I thank you that all we need to do is confess what's true about you and to confess our sin. Father, let this be our practices. Let us practice this in new moments Every day. And I thank you that the reward is trustworthiness. The reward is fellowship. The reward is forgiveness. The reward is what our heart longs for. Give us the courage to practice confessing the truth. Thank you, Father. Amen.